R&B is the podcast here with Russ and Blake. Oh, and just like we're going to tell you something, the knowledge you'll take. It's been a long, a long time recording, so you know we're here for you. That's tough. <laughs> That's tough. That works. That does work. <laughs> well, let's get to work. Uh, welcome back to RMB Podcast with Russ and Blake. Today, we're going to talk about a little something. Last week, we, uh, you know, went down the rabbit hole of coaching and uh, we got some good feedback per usual. And uh, today, we're, we're going to continue to build off upon our topics the same way that we have been over the past few weeks. Um, identity. Who am I? Who are you? Who is we? Mm. Uh, we're going to talk about it. So identity, the, the definition is what to you, Russ? Wow. Well, you pose the question, who am I? That to me has been one of the most important questions for me to ponder upon, for me to ask myself. So without, you know, looking at the definition to me, identity is the characteristics that you feel describes yourself, Mm -hmm. the characteristics that you use to describe somebody else. I believe that that is past, present and future um, that comes into our identity. You know what you've done in the past, Mm -hmm. What you feel like today and what you feel like you'll be tomorrow when you wake up, those constants Mm -hmm. that you identify with, I feel like those are the things that constitute our identity. Yeah. So is is identity whatever the individual decides to construct it as or do we all have a concrete identity that's either waiting to be um, discovered more in detail or built upon? I think that it is a little bit of both because I think that what you feel about yourself without somebody else telling you first has a lot to do with your identity. Mm -hmm. I believe that the philosophies that you align your belief with have a lot to do with your identities and nobody told you to do that. Well, maybe they did or but you might have came to your own beliefs. And I think that has to do with your identity. But then I also think that you were described before you even got here. Mm -hmm. You know, I got Mm -hmm. my first grade progress report and there's an ethnicity section, black Mm -hmm. or African-American, you know. Mm -hmm. So that was already I was already identified that way before I had to say. So I think that it's both how you see yourself, but also how society and the culture around you, what words they've placed on you. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. And then. I just got to say the inspiration for this topic is behind the haircut. Those of you who are tuning in on YouTube, uh, you see it, uh, all the other platforms, in case you didn't know, I had uh, locks down past my shoulders that have been chopped off for good. And I felt like I was identifying with my hair. And for a while, that was okay to me. Like, people call me Rasta, man, especially when I went to Jamaica. Shout out to Hamza at his gym. He called me Rasta. And it was cool because I I uh, like the, the Rastafarian lifestyle. I appreciate that religion and their beliefs. And, um, you know, it, it helped me develop my identity mm-hmm. and develop my spirituality and, um my my um i guess my way of promoting one love and um you know coming to the the point where i was ready to cut them off was difficult because one i've done it before and i said i wouldn't do it again i thought i was gonna die with my dreadlocks and then you know uh i had my daughter last year and it, it changed my perspective on everything every single little thing in my life and I have so much to be grateful for and I have so many things that are so important to me and that I care about. And then I I did not want my hair to be something that was taking away from the care that I could attribute to other things in my life that were so significantly more important. Mm. And, um, 
you know, there, there's so many things that we can lose at the, the blink of an eye, the snap of a finger. And we have to ask ourselves, which of those things would we truly be devastated about losing? Mm. Like what is really important to us and what makes us as a person? And I didn't want my hair to be that. Mm. <laughs> so um, it, it was kind of a, a very abrupt decision that I had to make because I would have talked myself out of it. Like my wife wanted to take pictures, this and that, tell people, I was like, no, I just got to go to the barbershop right now and take care of this because mm. like I, I feel it in me. And then another, uh, I guess, detail on that was I had used this product that kind of irritated my scalp and stuff. I was like, man, I just got to, I got to take care of me. Like the hair is not worth me having these issues with my scalp going on and all this. So let's just get rid of it, start fresh and uh, make sure that I'm feeling good. And I felt like that was God talking to me that it was time to, to part with the hair that I had had for five years that so many people know me by. Mm. And uh, I spent the next like three days for, uh, like people not recognizing me. I went to golf with my friends. People didn't recognize me. I went to work. People didn't recognize me. And, um, it was a cool experience. It's like being the new kid. And, uh, <laughs> I I've built this reputation and people know me in whatever ways they do. And now it's just like a clean slate. Mm. And so, um, as far as my identity, I have spent this past year really, um, I guess, honing in on what's been important to me. And um, the the hair didn't make the cut. Simple as that. Man, that's real. <laughs> it's very interesting because, you know, when we identify with things that can be taken away from us, it always brings you back to that question of, well, who am I truly then? If one day I can have something I identify with and it's gone the next day, then what does that mean about identity? Mm hmm. Right, exactly. And then so that's a that's a good way to segue into how people can sometimes identify with emotions. Mm. You know, emotions are temporary. And yeah. then so you would think uh, the, the advice would be you should identify as happy and then you'll be happy. But, you know, that's not entirely realistic. Like, ah. We want to be happy most mm -hmm. of the time. Yeah, but that is not really your identity because there's times when you're not happy. And then if you think you have to tell yourself that you're happy all the time and I'm only going to be happy and that's my identity, then you're going to feel an identity crisis in those times when you're not happy. Right? For sure. And then there's people that identify with the negative emotions because they've found a lot of attention from those uh, identifications, right? Mm. They identify with being depressed or they identify with needing help or being a victim. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying there's not real victims out there, but there right. are people that have made a victim identity simply because it gets more people to show them support mm -hmm. and attention. Yeah, and in terms of identity, we were talking earlier about how two people can look the same, they can go through the same events, have, have basically the same life, but at mm -hmm. the end of the day, they're two different people, two completely different people. So yeah. uh, sometimes events that take place we identify to feel a, a sense of unity and not being alone, mm -hmm. right? But um, you can you can take that identification a little too far and let it seep into like your inner being. And that's what we're talking about as far as far as identifying and identity, because um, you know the the events that take place are temporary. They're in our past. They do shape us into who we are. But there's there's something within you that starts at day one of your life that we're mm -hmm. building upon until day zero which is the end yeah. and um for for an event to carry along with you through that journey is more often than not not gonna be beneficial to you in developing your identity and understanding yourself mm -hmm. because again it's gone yeah but it's occupying the space in my mind and we keep feeling that it's so important when we don't even realize the potential for equal or more important events to take place tenfold after the fact, right? Yeah. You know, and a lot of the times you have to do that identity seeking. Some people call it soul searching. You have mm. to kind of do that on your own time. And that's why we are all kind of at different levels of our comfortability with our identity and who we are. It's always been interesting to me because, you know, my dad is black from Phoenix, Arizona, very intelligent black man, understands the struggle and the history my mom is a white woman from the South, you know, from Texas and lived in the South growing up. And so I was exposed to a lot of really great country music when I was younger mm. and vibe into it from a little young age because yeah. that's what my mom would play in the car. And I ended up liking Brad Paisley and Toby Keith and all these people. I enjoyed this music. And as I got older, there would be people that automatically would think that I was just like a hip hop listener and that I didn't vibe with country music and it confused me because I was like 
I knew my mom. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, why would you think I don't? And then I'm like, oh, there's a way that people see me that is apart from how I actually understand myself and my family. That was how other people were identifying you. Exactly. And that was a little confusing growing up. I'm not going to lie because Mm -hmm. I had such a supportive, loving white mom but my school and everyone identified me as black. Mm-hmm. So then when I would get in conversations with maybe some more like radical level black people when I was growing up and they would start talking to me about how like white people have done this and white people have done this. I'm like, well, my mom is dope. <laughs> I'll be like, I, you know, she's an amazing, loving person. So I kind of don't believe in this whole like we can be one thing because of our race. Mm-hmm you know, mindset. I've Mm -hmm. never believed that because I grew up so mixed and seeing the love in every culture, it was hard for me to ever say like one people are bad because of what they look like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's a curse and a blessing because you Mm -hmm. could say, Oh, you have the best of both worlds. Like you, you could fit in with both groups. Right. But it doesn't often work that way. You know, Mm -hmm. you kind of have to choose one or the other if you want to be fully accepted. Yeah, for sure. And that's me just uh, speaking from the observer standpoint, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, there's a lot of reasons to that, because uh, even if you were to identify as white, um, the majority of the world is still going to treat you like a black man. Yeah. And and no one would let me identify as white. I always thought that was funny. They would look at you crazy. Yeah, because I'm 50 50 and I've had I've had uh, ethnicity options before that didn't give me the opportunity to choose more than one thing. Mm -hmm. And I'll be saying they're like, well, depending on what I'm doing, I might choose white or I might choose black. But I look crazy saying I'm white Mm -hmm. in America, even though I am half and half. Yeah. And it's interesting because race clearly plays such an important role in all of our lives. Uh, Mm -hmm. Just look at history. Right. But then even me, uh, if you ask anybody, I'm going to tell them I'm 100 percent black, like I'm full black. But Oh, you know, if you want to get into the details, my dad's grandpa is full Native American. So if you want to do some, you know, division, adding, subtracting and see what percentage I am, you can do that. But as far as my identity, I'm a black man. You Mm -hmm. know, I'm not I'm not getting uh, government benefits from being Native American. I don't have any type of cultural exposure within my family to my Native American uh, heritage. So. Um, we, we just have to be careful about identifying to our race yeah. because we're so much more than that. For real. And I've definitely seen that uh, being so strong about your identity and, you, you know, these words that you're calling yourself can definitely limit you, you know, because you ask the question, who are you? I don't really believe that I should use any physical characteristics to really try to label myself because I'm going to grow out of a lot of those things Mm -hmm. and none of them will be with me when I move on. Right. So you're going to grow out of basically all of those things. Yeah. All of them. And um, I'm glad you bring that up because, uh, you know, me being in the fitness industry and coaching, when I first got into personal training, um, being around so many fit, healthy people that, I mean, technically are on the extreme of fitness, right? Uh, Being chiseled and having like a large uh, body mass, muscle mass. That's that's how they identify. And um, I felt like I had to identify in that way to be able to fit into that industry, right? Mm -hmm. And then a lot of the clientele wants to identify as being large, muscular, healthy, but there's so much more to health than that, right? Uh, Muscles do not define health. Mm -hmm. And then um, I knew that as a nurse, but here I am within a certain environment where that's not really the mentality that people are going into it with, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You ask people if they want to identify as being healthy or identify as looking good. Like mm. what, what's really going to be the priority between the two of those when the average person, right? Yeah. So um, uh, what, what that did for me is I ended up pushing my efforts more into the nursing side just to see, one, where I could take my career, and then two, how I could uh, make my coaching more tailored to what I believed in and what I was wanting to do. Because here I am wanting to be more of like a health coach or a nurse coach as sure. somebody would um, see, um, I guess, um, what credentialing for. Um, but I was in a personal trainer role. And yeah. so it didn't really fit in at the time. And so um, having that change in identity as far, as far as my profession has been 
really beneficial to me and my clients because my clients would tell me like, hey, I'm getting so much more out of this experience than just working out and looking good, right? Mm -hmm. And then um, I I didn't market myself in that way because that's not how I was identifying myself within the professional realm. For sure. And then that that takes me on to having, you know, we we identify uh, in different ways in different settings sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, some people do not do that. And um, it, it usually bites them in the butt. You need to be able to adapt to different situations. And that shouldn't change your identity as a human and your inner being. But how you're going to identify in that situation should change the, depending on the factors involved. Yeah, that's one thing I always appreciated about like your social media presence as a trainer is because like you easily could have just tried to flex the strong man energy and like, yo, mm-hmm. watch me do these pushups and everything and watch mm-hmm. my muscles, but you had the intelligence. So it's a paragraph with it with some real information that mm-hmm. could genuinely help people be healthy and, and expand in their life. Right. And I I'll be honest, I fell out of that for a little bit. There was a period where I was just posting stuff that was more to be impressive Mm. and then I took that step back and I was like "Mm, Mm. that's not really what I got into this for and Mm. I that's how I felt I needed to portray myself to be able to uh, scale my business yeah and um, I I see that there's different niches for everybody right Mm. and um, there there's a lot of very successful people that fill that niche but mine is always going to be health focused because uh Focusing too much on the exterior and putting too much effort into that external appearance is going to take away some of the energy that you need to perfect the inner peace, which I think is extremely important, especially when you're talking about health, because the health is a lot more than the appearance. For sure. And I honestly think that this whole concept of identity is why the phenomena of a midlife crisis still exists. You know, mm. that's something that what that people were dealing with in the seventies, the eighties, the nineties and the two thousands. They're going to keep dealing with it. I think it's because early on we cling to our identities and we cling mm. to these physical things that describe us. And as we start to outgrow them, we get uncomfortable because we're like, dang, all these things I thought I was are starting to leave me and I don't feel as important. I need to go cling on to more things and add something else to my identity. And it's still not making me feel fulfilled. Right. And that usually hits us in that like midlife area. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I think a very similar experience happens to athletes a lot earlier oh. because we uh, put so much time and effort and thought and blood and sweat and tears into our sport. And we identify as an X player, basketball mm-hmm. player, football player, whatever sport you that's how we identify when we're an athlete, right? For sure. So when you take that away, a lot of athletes ask themselves, who am I? Like mm. what what am I supposed to do now? You know? Mm-hmm. And that's why you see people like Tom Brady that retire and then go back because mm-hmm. after they get out of it, they're like, Oh, Mm-hmm. I'm a football player. Like, what am I supposed to do in the regular world, right? And that's why it's so important for people to be aware and try to have a better understanding of their true identity before they get in a situation where something so fragile can be taken away from them. Because yeah. uh, whether it's an injury or age or um, you get in trouble, that happens sometimes too. Uh, a sport can be taken away at the blink of an eye, just like uh, your physical ability or even your mind. Mm-hmm. So again. We take it back to what do we truly appreciate, what makes us smile, what motivates us, and and what what is it special about me that I'm putting into the world that people can identify, mm-hmm. right? For sure. And, you know, one thing that will be with us is that ability to be creative. You know, it took me a while to understand that my growth in being a basketball player and all my successes really stemmed from my creative ability, right? Because I would go and practice, but I would create situations and try to mimic certain defenses. And I would learn to work at a pace that helped me be elite and successful. But that was from my creativity. Mm -hmm. A lot of us, when we're done with our sport, we, like you said, don't know what's next, but we also don't recognize that we have to keep exercising our creative muscle because that's what helped us be a successful athlete 
And that's what's going to keep us away from the depths of despair as we're trying to navigate and figure out what's next. Mm -hmm. You can always be creative. That, and that gets into a much deeper conversation. I believe that we're made in God's image. So I believe that okay. we're like little creative beings that need to exercise it to feel fulfilled and, and uh, feel authentic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you brought that up. I was mm -hmm. going to take us down that path because when you think of creativity, who is more creative than the creator? Exactly. Right. And so for us to have the privilege, the opportunity, the ability, the capability to be creative, that should take you very close to a godlike level, right? Mm -hmm. And so when when we appreciate God and we love God and we feel God, people say God's with us, he's with us. And I feel like God is in us. The creator is in us and allowing us to be creative mm -hmm. so that we can create. Now mm -hmm. the question is, what are you going to create? Mm -hmm. And for me, I try to create a positive energy. I try to create a safe environment. I try to create love and I mm. try to share it as much as I can. And, um, you know, there's so many other things that I can create, but if I'm not creating those things as the, the basis, as the foundation, then a lot of the times the other things that I create don't really have the meaning or the purpose behind them that I would want. Mm. And that takes us, uh, you know, into another little segment here of, um, the relationship of purpose and identity. Mm. And um, I, I don't know, do you feel like you know your purpose? I feel like I know my purpose. Mm -hmm. yes. And what would that be? I feel like my purpose is to show love to this world, right. to be honest. I feel like my purpose is to come into a physical world that can feel dense and dark and to have a light and, and show that I have intention to detail with my light everywhere I go. So mm -hmm. if I'm in fries or at work or at a Suns game or anywhere I'm at, like I feel like my purpose is to always be showing that like this light is possible mm -hmm. in all these moments. And I've seen a lot of wild shifts happen around me when I'm being intentional with that, mm -hmm. which is kind of a feedback system with me and God telling me like keep going, but it's hard to explain that to other people. Yeah. But this is why I feel like it's my purpose. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because I, I see how easy it is to have like a stressful moment come into your life and try to dim what you have. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? But we touched on, and the reason that I feel this way, like I was raised a lot uh, by my grandma. Like she had a big part in raising me. Mm. We talked last or a couple episodes ago about how she was a widow and she was always making sure that I thought about life in this like light way that I thought about it from the soul and thought about it as like, your intelligence only takes you so far, but your soul is infinite. Mm -hmm. So I always felt like early on, this is why I wanted to study psychology because I'm like, okay, if I can combine what I do with helping and showing love, I'll be successful. That still was from my ego. It took me till I got older to realize, oh, I can do anything with the intent to love and it's going to be Mm -hmm. full of purpose. Mm -hmm. I could go sort boxes somewhere and do it with love and I'm going to be walking in my purpose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, purpose, you can have more than one purpose, right? Sure. But people get so lost and caught up because they want their specific purpose. Mm -hmm. I think you gave me a general purpose, which yeah. I love because I have a similar general purpose. Okay. And I'm more than one purpose. Yeah. But um, some people get really caught up on not knowing their specific purpose. And a lot of times we attribute our purpose to our profession. Mm. And I've come to terms with the fact that I'm so much more than a nurse. I'm mm. so much more than a coach or a personal trainer. Like who I am within me, you could take away all the jobs, all of the accolades, all of the everything, all the material things gone. I'm still going to be me and I'm still going to operate in the same way with whatever resources I have and whatever environment I'm in. Mm. Um, and having that mindset has allowed me to stay true to myself in a lot of different situations and then also be respected by other people for doing that. And it's not always easy to be yourself in certain situations, especially some of the morbid, grim situations that I deal with. But every single time, people are so appreciative that I'm, I'm just honest and I'm true to myself and I'm true to other people. And uh, just last week, it was interesting. Um, 
my hospital just had this great big expansion. So I'm interacting with a lot of new people. And I just recently went to day shift too. So I'm still getting acquainted in that way as well. Um, there was a dialysis nurse working on my patient and um, I had two patients. So I was kind of bouncing back and forth and they both had visitors, family members there. And the dialysis nurse said to me when I come in, he's like, Blake, everybody likes you, huh? And I was like, like that was a strange question to me. I was like, nobody's ever asked me that in my life. Sure. And I was like, I don't know what makes you ask me that. He was like, well, the, the family is in here talking about you while you're gone. And the patient was like really excited that you came back. And um, everyone seems like they trust you and you seem to put a smile on their face. And I was like, oh, dang. Like, um, I can't speak for everybody, but I'm glad that these people here right now like me. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and um one way that I like to identify is as being a likable person. I feel like sure. I've identified in that way for a very long time since mm. I was young. And I have to give credit to my parents for that. We've talked on one of our other podcasts about how important it is to try to shape your children into likable people. Wow. And that's not caring about what other people think about you, but just doing unto other people what you would like to uh, have done to you, right? Mm -hmm. Treating other people as you want to be treated. Though yeah. Some of those basic principles that we learn as children are so vital to our success later in life and sometimes we just get so caught up on cramming all these other uh topics and information in that we forget the basics right yeah and the foundation is so important because if the foundation is weak then the house is going to crumble mm -hmm. so you can build as much as you want but you have to remember um, some of those important things that you learn early in life and some of the elderly people that I've interacted with that seem so happy and seem so content with where they are in life that are in their 90s and even a video I saw earlier today of a lady that was 106 years old their key to happiness is not taking life seriously mm. like they they have this childlike view of the world almost because yes. they've been through so much and they've seen so much death and despair and hatred but they've almost also seen so much love and so much positivity and they've seen the balance between the two and they've seen what happens if you focus too much on the negative mm. and uh it, it's a very very um I would say consistent uh, response when you ask elderly people what the secret is. Like you see somebody really, oh, oh, what's the secret? You know, same way you ask somebody if they've had a long marriage, what the secret is. And I'll tell you that all the secret is, is love. Yeah, man. <laughs> Every single time, 10 out of 10. If you focus on love, you prioritize love, you share love, you acknowledge love, you appreciate love then you're going to thrive in whatever you do. And that might not necessarily mean that you're going to live a long life because a lot of stuff can happen in between. Mm -hmm. But then that also takes you to, if your life were to end tomorrow, how do you want to be remembered? How do you want people to identify you, right? For sure. Like they told me a lot when I was growing up that God is love. I think that it's interesting that we both said, um, talked back to our upbringing when we started to get into a conversation about what our purpose is and I in think our that, identity and our identity. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that just has a lot of like powerful inspiration for people to understand like that family unit, being able to kind of be there for one another and guide each other in the right direction is so important to us. Even if you have like a young person that wants to act like it's not, I guarantee you even like the person showing like the most harshest behaviors and showing that they don't want love and guidance, they still want it. It's like, we all want to oh, be yeah. in this group. It's natural. Mm -hmm. It's and a natural instinct. I'm really glad you also brought up like that, the childlike feeling of being creative. Mm. Cause I was talking about the athletes, how when they're done playing, they can feel like they don't have much purpose mm -hmm. because they're not clinging to their creativity anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've seen some of, some people with the harshest life circumstances play basketball and look like a four-year-old just giggling and like, you know, having so much fun with other grown men. Mm. And they just are in this bubbly spirit for the time being that they're playing. And right. I love seeing that because it, it reminds me of the origin and it reminds me of like our true light. But I don't know how aware everyone is that that type of energy needs to be manifested in your life mm -hmm. consistently because you really need to reach back and touch back to that child inside of you mm -hmm. because that child saw the world with wonder that child didn't already know how to identify everything mm -hmm. so they got to live more free mm -hmm. we grow up and learn the words to identify and categorize and it, it diminishes our perception of the world mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's, again, when you put a label on something, in a way, you're limiting. We mm -hmm. talked about love languages uh, two weeks ago. And 
to have five love languages to me that's limiting to label love because love is love love is vast love is everywhere you mm, i'm not gonna get into that that's Mm. a little too deep right now but identity man we talked about um you know how how significant identification and developing an identity is in the childhood years so i'm Mm. gonna ask you again is identity discovered or developed you know is identity discovered or developed? I think that, see, this is the thing. If I didn't grow up in the society that labeled me all these things, I wouldn't think this about myself. So it's hard for me to think that there's some type of objective identity that I was going to come in with. I think the only thing that objectively identifies me is my soul, which is like everything physical shedded away. He said it. I knew he'd say it. <laughs> I knew it. That's yeah. my boy. Yes, yeah. the soul. The soul is part of our identity. When we talk about our inner identification, our inner human being, what else is there than our soul? That mm-hmm. that can't be measured. That that can't be observed. Mm-hmm. That that only we really know about. Mm-hmm. And we can share it as much as we want. But at the end of the day, you know your soul. Your soul is within you. Right. Mm. So it's so important to be spiritual in a way. It's so important to develop that soulful feeling. Right. I mean, the soul is undeniable. The soul's there from day one, even as we're born and we're learning and everything's new. Um, you could say that I guess a soul is pure and it's starting with a clean slate, but there's something there that's not going to change over time. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're born with something, but there is so much building and development that's involved as well when it comes to our identity. And I just think that the soul is the nucleus of the identity. And so many people don't care for their soul. They Mm -hmm. don't acknowledge their soul. Some people don't believe in their soul. But I'm here to tell you, you have a soul, whether you like it or not. Oh, sue me. But (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, man, what else could there be like for that for us to truly have any purpose in this world? The purpose is there for you to determine. But um, I think if you do some introspection and do some soul searching, then that purpose is going to present itself to you rather than you feeling like you have to fight to go find it. Yeah, man. And I'm I'm so glad you said that, you know, because you talk about cutting off your dreads that's gone now. That's you no longer being young, youthful, and, you know, having the big muscles, all these things fleeting. But that one, that soul, that is the consistent variable that's going to be with us, like you said, birth throughout your whole life. And mm-hmm. in my belief, it's infinite. Like, we're, I'm going to have this forever. And this is why a lot of my practices is me trying to get in touch with my soul. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because I want to I want to learn more about it before uh, you know, I'm forced to learn about, you know what I'm saying? Because a lot of people like, you know, when they start to learn or face their mortality and it's becoming like tomorrow or, Mm. or soon, that's usually where they start to feel like, okay, wow, everything that's on me, that's physical is, is going away. Right. Right. And then, so again, holding on to things that are in the past, uh, Mm -hmm. eventually that's going to hinder your performance that's going to hold you back from really being able to understand who you are and Mm -hmm. know how to operate in the true version of yourself right so the hair's gone uh lebron one of the greatest to ever play the game of basketball Mm -hmm. he's holding on to his hair Mm -hmm. i would have shaved my head bald if i was in but yeah you might as well right you have all these other things to be grateful for Mm -hmm. um that's nothing people might talk about you you might look different but those are things that we have to accept at some point i know older guys that you know they want to either have testosterone injections which is okay if your levels are out of whack but some people want to take their levels through the roof so they can look like the baddest mf in town and then they might even do anabolic steroids on top of it and that's Mm. just so detrimental to your body especially if you're not going to be competing and you just want to look good to look good that's not part of the journey. That's mm. not going to develop you and your identity. And you trying to hold on to something that's supposed to be gone is mm-hmm. going to catch up to you, whether it's uh, mental issues, heart issues, joint issues, th- trying to do things that are not in line with where you are in life. Mm-hmm will not benefit you. And so people could argue, well, I feel good. I'm performing well. Again, Tom Brady, 
Mm-hmm. People say he should have retired. He still was successful in his last couple of years, right? He yeah. could have retired 10 years ago and nobody would have blamed him for it. Mm-hmm. But that's, the, again, the thing that you need to understand within you and your identity mm-hmm. because people are going to try to identify you in all types of ways for your entire life but you need to know your identity and at the end of the day you're probably not going to be able to explain that identification to everyone else yeah they're going to continue to identify you however they perceive you all of us perceive things differently we all have different biases in our minds so we can do our best to portray and 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 give off the energy that we want because me and you we prioritize love right so Mm -hmm. i think that most of the people that have interacted with me know that i come from a place of love and if they don't i tell them but they still might not understand at the end of the day some people are still not going to agree with me or know that i'm coming at them with good intention Mm -hmm. Because that's just the world we live in. People are defensive and it takes a lot to trust one another. So Mm -hmm. you need to at least do yourself the favor of being confident of what's going inside within yourself. And Mm -hmm. that takes time. That takes effort. That takes energy. Yeah. And, you know, even though, you know, I find a lot of value and just, you know, pride in studying black history But at the same time, I only want to identify with it for so long because I'm here in the present. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I'm in in a new frontier, something that isn't history. Like I'm now. So even though I do enjoy learning these things, I only take it so far as to how I think about myself. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that there is um, a very key detail. A lot of people try to teach about Malcolm X and they'll say that, you know, he's like an American radical civil rights leader but in his book he talks about when he takes his actual hajj to mecca he goes to the middle east to pray because he's muslim in his religion he goes to the middle east to pray and when he got there dude he saw people that were black brown yellow white all worshiping in the same place and he said in his autobiography the autobiography of malcolm x he said that it changed his whole mind to what this identity even is because he Mm -hmm. saw white men with blue eyes and the darkest people he could see and all the way in between Mm -hmm. all one loving and worshiping together and he realized that his upbringing in north america conditioned him to think of identity different than where most of the world thinks about it mm-hmm. he's like this this heavy physical toll and uh and placement that we have on race is not what we are right no even i mean i am proud to be a black man but at the end of the day i'm a black man because i live in america right mm. <laughs> i'm african-american if i had never my lineage never ended up in America. Who who knows what I would label myself as, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, these terms are used loosely. Like, yeah, yeah I, I identify myself. I'm, I belong to this group of black people. I'm proud of it. But there is so much more within me yes, that yes. has nothing to do with my race. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can take that how you want because, yes, the black history has shaped who I am and it's shaped who my family is and how we operate and where we are in life. And, yes, that history is within my DNA and it has affected how I've been able to live my life and my lineage and it's going to continue to carry on down the line but there there's different aspects when it comes to the term identity am I going to identify with something that people already have an idea of behind it or am I going to identify with the unique individual that is within me that nobody else can replicate and that you haven't ever seen before unless you've seen me? Mm, right? Exactly. Exactly. And I think that that's our key frustrations out here, dude. I feel like it's our key frustration is that people are trying to label and identify us before they get to know us or mm. before they really understand what in psychology it's a term called idiosyncratic, right? And that means that every single person has their own way of seeing, viewing, and talking about this world. Mm-hmm. You know, if you sit down and do psychotherapy with people, you see how amazing human beings are mm-hmm. because everybody has a different perspective, a different vibe, and a different thing to add to this gumbo of humanity. Mm-hmm. And different goals, different priorities, different experiences. We're all living different lives and we have to respect one another for that, not uh, hate on each other for it, not uh, show fear towards one another for being different. That doesn't make any sense. We can't expect the person next to us 
to have any understanding of what we've gone through. Like we've talked about this before too, mm-hmm. you know, we try to be empathetic, but I only know as much as you tell me about you and what you've been through. You only know as much as I tell you. And there's some aspect of what's within us that is kind of secretive, right? Mm-hmm. That only we know about. And mm-hmm. it's and it's up to you to be comfortable with that secret piece of yourself that yeah. you might not ever really share with someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was always enthralled growing up with like Egyptian um, architecture, of the ancient Egyptian architecture, because I was always just so fascinated that they made these pyramids that were so grand with all these paintings, hieroglyphics, and amazing things. And then as I start to get older and read about the philosophy of these people, I was like, oh my gosh, they are literally trying to teach us about their perspective of the journey of the soul. A lot of these hieroglyphs are telling what they believed was the journey the soul goes through. Mm -hmm. So it's just so interesting to think you can go back 5,000 years, 8,000 years, and you're going to find people that were still understanding that you can only identify with the soul, Mm. right? That is one of the dopest things that my mind's able to think about because it's like I'm here way later with the same dilemma do i identify with the physical or do i go ahead and just think that i'm this soul going Mm -hmm. through another journey to the light yeah and then uh you know it's all about balance right because there you as a physical form is important you have to take care of your physical body so Mm. that the inner body can thrive because if you neglect this body that we're in this vessel then everything else is going to crumble within it that's just how it works you need a healthy mind body spirit and a balance between the three so Mm. you know we we talk about that spiritual peace in our identification um but you still have to take care of the body Mm. where we don't really Mm. want you to identify with the body but that doesn't mean that you should neglect the body because the body is the body's the shell the body's the protection the body's the transportation of your soul right that's how we're moving through and sharing whatever gift we have to share with the world and um for for us to not take care of this car that is driving the individual right you treat your body like a car you're gonna wax it you're gonna wash it you're gonna put premium gas in there so you can run efficiently and then that's so that the person inside stays safe and gets to the destination but you let that car fall apart that person's gonna sit right where they are and they're never gonna get to the point that they want to get to Mm. that's very interesting it makes me think because i've had a lot of conversations with homeless people i've gone to california um, like Venice Beach area, I've been Skid Row area, I've gone to these places and had conversations with people, almost spent my whole vacation almost talking to homeless people. And I've definitely talked to some people that feel like they can completely neglect the physical and that they're on this super spiritual journey. And that's what led them to almost denounce everything physical and their mm. hygiene is actually like terrible yeah and they haven't been taking care of themselves yeah well i mean you can look at someone like uh dick gregory who Mm -hmm. you know take on some strange dietary practices and uh even steve jobs take on strange dietary practices in the search of spirituality um and and that is a way to develop your spirit yes but they will also share with you how difficult that is Mm. and how taxing it is and it can end your journey early Uh, yeah i believe that i believe that and i think that that is can still be ego it's funny because as you start to try to get into these spiritual soulful conversations a lot of times we can find ourselves still operating from our ego Mm -hmm. because we want to basically identify with the process that made us spiritual you know what i'm saying it's Mm -hmm. like that's still a physical identity if you want to say that oh i did this to become spiritual or i followed Mm. this route to become spiritual Mm. now you're basically speaking from your from your ego now yeah yeah but i've also mentioned on here before that i think in the society we live in today you do have to acknowledge the ego and feed into it Mm. to an extent if you're going to be like a normal player in this game you know 
Uh, I, I think if you want to go on that solo journey that we've talked about a lot of people doing, mm -hmm. because it's perfectly fine, yeah. um, they might be able to achieve something as an individual that they wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. But if I'm going to go on this journey with an intention of spreading the love and helping other people walk a similar journey and discover themselves and uh, continue to help the rest of their community do the same then I have to have some level of empathy and understanding that I think is a little bit derived from that ego piece. Bro, I love you it. Know? And you're right. And that's, that's how you're able to lead. And that's how you're able to bring more people into yeah. a healthy vibe. So let me ask you this. What things do you feel like as an ego you identify with? Like what kind of, um, you know, so I, I identify as a dad, right? I mm. take a lot of pride in being a dad now. Um, uh, that somebody could argue that, you know, my family is not me, right? But mm -hmm. I, I take a lot of pride in my family. I take a lot of pride in my name, like Blake mm -hmm. Jones. That that's strong to me, mm. and um, so uh, I guess a piece of that would be ego related because people like Malcolm X they get rid of their name, sure, because that's not them. That's not their identity, especially yeah. with the slave ties. Cause we know the, the Jones plantation, my family came from Mississippi. So, you know, you can fill in all the blanks you want. Right. <laughs> uh, if I really wanted to be me without the history attached, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe I go by Blake X, right? Mm -hmm. I but, thought about that too. But I, I'm going to embrace those pieces of my past sure. and and the 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 journey that's come after, and um, you know, pay respect to my ancestors who took on the name Jones and accomplished great things and allowed me to be here today. Um, that's how I look at that. So there's a, there's a little ego attachment to my name, mm -hmm. I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. Um, I have not done the research to truly know the origin of my lineage. Mm -hmm. And that's, um, I guess a privilege that a, a lot of white people, I don't think take into consideration. They, they go say, Oh, I'm Irish. I'm Italian. I'm this. I don't know what country in Africa I'm from. You can right. say I'm African, but Africa is not a country, people. There's a whole <laughs> lot of countries within Africa in case you didn't know. So um, even that, like I'm interested in knowing what country my family is from so I could know that piece of my heritage. But at the end of the day, it's in the past. And I know that my current culture is completely different than my African culture was because now I'm an African-American. I'm a black male. So mm -hmm. how do you want to identify, right? Yeah. Um, really, any piece of identification and you trying to explain it out loud is probably going to have some ego attached to it because how else are you really going to let someone know the details of your soul? I Man. haven't figured out how to do that. Such, such a great point. You know, I've also used kind of more of my ego identities to kind of reorient myself because I identify as being a fast learner. Mm -hmm. In my mind... I'm a fast learner, but really what it is, is that I'm down to sit for like 10 hours and focus on one thing. Mm -hmm. I almost feels like a superpower to me, dude. At first it manifested in me having an elite jump shot in America, but now I've taken it and I'm just like, wow, I'm able to sit and focus. Now that could be my ego identifying with that, but I use it to my advantage and I usually point back to it when I'm trying to convince someone that I should be someone they should hire or, or you know, use resources mm -hmm. on to let me get a job done yeah. because I know how to do these things. Yeah. And you saying that you're a fast learner is definitely the ego piece. Mm -hmm. But you could just make the general statement of I'm I'm a I'm a student. Right. Sure. There's no ego. Behind but I, I feel there. like I feel like I'm a um what would be the word? A gifted student. Like, I feel like I'm, right. I'm more in that. But I that's, have... certainly, that's certainly ego behind it. You wanting to put an adjective on it mm -hmm. to make it uh, a little more elevated. Exactly. Right? And I'm trying to talk about how I use that ego identity to for, for my benefit. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And then yeah. I try to convince kids that it's possible as well. And this is one thing I've learned, man, because I work with a lot of different counselors. I work with psychologists. I work with people that are trying to like reach youth to get them to reorient into a better way. Some of my most profound breakthroughs with kids is when I go outside and cash 10 threes in a row. And they're looking at me like, what the heck, bro? I've been trying to make a layup for three years and you just made 10 40 footers like it was nothing. Yeah. And then I'm like, all right, now let's start talking. Yeah. Because I'm going to show you first, bro. 
But what it takes is this certain type of discipline and focus, which we all have. Mm -hmm. We all have the ability to focus, but we all have a billion distractions. So Mm -hmm. it's like, now let's Mm -hmm. talk about how we're going to compartmentalize our attention. Yeah. Yeah. That's like one of my clients almost, I would say like every other time we meet up to train, he's like, all right, let's race. I'm like, bro, (laughs) why you want to race? Like one, I'm faster than you. Uh Two, what's the point? And he's like, he's like, ah, no, I think I'm faster. You know, I'm like, all right, bro. I, like, old man, get over. I'm like, let me stretch real quick. Not trying to pull nothing. And I tell him every time, the only reason I'm faster than him is because I have the technique. Mm -hmm. There's so much behind technique and whatever it is that you're doing and Mm. that takes a long time to develop because my running technique is a lot better now than it was when i was actually a competitive athlete yeah man (laughs) but i'm more efficient with my running right and the same thing when it comes to weightlifting i'm telling him like all the form and stuff and then he's like how much do you bench i'm like I don't know. I don't care how much I bench. (laughs) (laughs) I know I can at least bench what you're doing. For real. (laughs) But uh, yeah, sometimes you do have to like pull the ego out of your bag and Mm -hmm. show them like, look, this is waiting here, but I'm not trying to use it in this situation. right? Because there's a lot more to this and it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, that takes a while for people to be able to um, realize and recognize that because uh, I've, I've seen coaches, especially younger coaches that have recently been athletes to where they feel like they got to show off for mm. the kids to respect them and listen to them. And they jump at those opportunities. But really, in my opinion, those aren't the individuals that ultimately gain the most respect from these kids. Yeah. And it's maybe because they end up getting looked at more like a peer mm-hmm. and um that that just takes balance as well because you do want the kids to trust you and sometimes that peer role does get you that trust a lot easier and then they listen to you in a way but kids will push boundaries they're bound to for sure and uh you just have to be ready for that if you if that's the approach that you want to take yeah and one thing i've kind of learned also is that when you go too hard of being like a peer to the people you're trying to lead then once you get into the trenches it gets confusing because once you get into those trenches, we need a clear leader. And that clear leader usually has to demand respect. Yeah. And, and that comes from separating yourself. Because, you know, I train staff that works with kids. And mm-hmm. I see all the time the staff that wants to be homies. And I try to tell them, like, hey, that's cool. And I know how it feels because I've been there. But when it hits the fan, bro, you're going to not want to just be a homie. You need to be a leader. Mm-hmm. Because you're the one who's leading you know what i'm saying so it's interesting and i know it's hard to develop that balance oh yeah i know it's hard i've seen in the hospital too like uh doctors have a lot of different personalities there's very uh like short and straight to the point doctors that don't want to joke around at all and then there's doctors that are really fun and you know they like to laugh and educate in a, a different way and um I'm always impressed by those individuals because they all get it together in those times where they have to perform. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, those boundaries are always there, but I can see sometimes if you come down the ranks in the hierarchy and maybe you're like a nurse manager role or a charge nurse, um, I think that they can often feel like a peer because they oftentimes came from that same role of the people that they are leading. Mm -hmm. So it's not always easy to transition into that or people know you as something else. So they're still interacting with you in the way that they were when you were their side by side peer rather than now you're their superior. Right. right? So, um, I have seen the lines get blurred in that way. And, um, Sometimes it takes uh, a little bit of uh, discomfort to get people to realize that there needs to be a different level of professionalism. And that's why I try to always come correct with the professionalism in the workplace so that those lines never have to be redrawn, right? Mm -hmm. Because I'm ready to move up to the next level. And I think that the people around me are too. And I don't have to worry about their thinking that I'm still going to be buddy-buddy because at the end of the day, we're at work and Mm -hmm. there's lives at stake and it needs to be the main focus at all times in my opinion yeah man and that's a key right there one of our earlier conversations was about relationships and i think this conversation matters so much because people will say things like wow this person really knows themselves like wow i'm able to work well with you because you're so comfortable with yourself 
And I always really think about what does that mean? Mm -hmm. You know, does that mean that my physical identities, I understand them? Or does it mean that since I'm trying to kind of shed the more physical identifications that you see some more peaceful part of me, it's always been hard for me to understand that because the reason I'm going to bring this back to the relationships is because usually when people are in a relationship with someone and they start to misidentify what they believe about themselves, it gets tricky. I'll, I'll try to give an example. Like if you feel like you're a very um, caring person and you're like, wow, I'm really good at being there for others. And then your partner, or your friend tries to tell you, hey, you know, you're really distant and you just don't really take into consideration other people's feelings. Well, you identified with being caring for all the time up until you met them. Mm. And that's usually where people now have a huge rift because it's like, whoa, you don't agree with my identities that I have. Right. We can't talk. I've been there, man. And it's a difficult place. But I think that the correct and mature way to view it is Dude, none of these identities are truly you. You got to keep going. You got to keep flowing and like let the world break off what you don't need and move you in the direction towards where you're going. Uh, because our identities, I feel like, are baggage. You know, I feel like when people say you have a lot of baggage, put your bags down. I feel like that metaphorical baggage is things we identify with. Developing and understanding it has started from, you know, day one, in my opinion. But I have vivid memories of being a young boy and going through certain experiences, doing certain things that have clearly uh, also played a, you know, influential role in that. And so when I was in college, I had a close friend. I'll never forget this. And, you know, we're cool now, but we fell out a little bit after this situation where she told me that I was choosing friends and popularity over my relationship with God. And I was like, whoa, what are you saying to me? And I, it like really got in my head because I was like, what? why would she say that? Like, what am I doing wrong? But then I came to the conclusion, like, she doesn't know my relationship with God. Like, mm. I, don't, I can't even think to this day what I did to make her think to say something like that. But I was like greatly offended because, you know, that's, that's sacred. I'm like, that's my relationship with God. Who are you to tell me that? So, mm. you know, I did think about it for a while and, um, it was just a personal thing. And you have to realize when people say stuff like that, uh, it's personal and you, you can try to empathize with them and understand why they feel that way. But, um, your relationship with the higher power is your relationship that nobody else is ever going to understand or see the same way that they can't see your soul because those are tied right hand in hand with each other. Right. Mm. So, um, I, I would just invite you to, uh, become familiar with your soul and your inner being and also become confident in that familiarity because somebody's going to challenge it eventually. Mm -hmm. And it might be somebody that's close to you and that can feel really bad when it happens, but Man. you have to be prepared because again, uh, you're going to be misinterpreted at some point in your life. And then, um, you know, God willing, you're really back in and everybody can get back on the same page. But if it doesn't work that work out that way, that's okay because that's you and your relationship with yourself. Yes, and it's very important to know that nobody can gain you access to your soul or take it away from you. Mm. It's very important. You know, they talk about the history of the church where they used to tell people like, hey, if you pay this amount of tithes, then we'll pray for you and get you into heaven. Mm. You know, that's, that's some of the history that you really used to do that. Like you have to go through us to be able to get to heaven because we have to pray for you or we have to interpret yeah. the Bible for you, for you to understand these things. And that's one of the oldest tricks for people to use to try to get you away from your authentic power. They can't tell you about your soul and they can't give you access to the greater things. Like this is all your personal a journey mm -hmm. and <clears throat> i believe that's I, I believe that opens up when you start to go on that route but i honestly can't imagine how that had to feel like in the 1400s in these old uh church churches where they were telling people that they had to go through certain things to get prayed for to get to heaven mm -hmm. i i don't even understand because i'm so far away from that belief but I do know that nowadays there are people that try to scare people out of their riches, so to say, scare people out of their destiny by telling them that they have something evil inside of them or that mm -hmm. they are doing something that's detrimental to a more abstract place, like you're saying. Mm -hmm. I think that that's kind of a 
uh, a facet of evil, to be honest, to try yeah. to get us to be confused about who we are. Yeah. And, um, you know, that, that can get pretty deep on that topic, but um, just make sure you're seeking the proper guidance of whatever it is that you want to do or build upon. And uh, just know that whatever is within you is waiting to be unleashed and loved upon. And uh, it's something special regardless of what it looks like. And uh, we don't expect you to tell us what it looks like because you can't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, whatever it is, is beautiful. And I'm grateful for it. So you should be too. And I'm grateful for you all joining us today in this conversation on identity. Yeah, man. And, and you made me think when you said that, like, you, you can't say it, but you can vibe with us. Mm. You know what I'm saying? You might yeah, not be able to tell yeah. us, but you can vibe with us because these are yeah. sound waves. And guarantee that we appreciate and recognize the soul in us. So I'm sure your soul is vibing as well. Mm -hmm. And if you vibe with us today, please like, subscribe, share with one person. I just want you to share with one person if you got anything out of this today. Um, we greatly appreciate it. And we just want to build our community and uh, get more minds involved. And with that being said, we do have a guest series coming soon. So watch out for that in case uh, you're tired of hearing us talk. <laughs> you shouldn't be tired, though, because I sound pretty good on the mic. I think Russ sound all right, too. Man, and everybody who's <laughs> giving me feedback says they are vibing with the conversations we yeah. have. They love the topics. They love seeing us just be young, confident, competent, and walking in our destiny. And I, I feel that. I feel the same way. Yeah. So thank you guys again. And uh, thank God for the opportunity for us to be here for another episode of R&B Podcast with Russ and Blake. And we will see you next week. Thank you, God. Peace. Peace.